Hey guys, just a quick disclaimer before the episode starts. We are not mental health professionals, nor are we pretending to be. These are our opinions while trying to bring relatable people and stories to make those struggling feel less alone and understood. Hey guys, welcome to episode two of the Disorderly Perspectives podcast. I'm Ian. I'm Brian. Welcome guys. I do want to give a quick little trigger warning before the episode starts. Uh, Richard does go into detail a bit about his suicidal ideations. Um, obviously didn't go through with it, but with that being said, he does also speak on the imposter syndrome that he went through, which, um, you know, he went to Johns Hopkins. So a lot of the students there and just those Ivy League level schools in general, you're typically going to have that um, amongst the students. Uh, he does also speak on his depression a bit. Yeah, he does go into depth with those experiences. We also get a look at both the empirical side and the personal story side, as he did study neuroscience and psychology. So it's a nice change of pace, so we get to see this perspective. Yeah, so we hope you guys enjoy the episode. All right, Richard, why don't you uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Well, um, as you know, my name is Richard. I'm from South Florida. I grew up in Dominican Republic. I went to college for uh, neuroscience and psychology. And right now, I'm doing my master's here in New York, where I currently reside, uh, doing psychiatric epidemiology. Thank you for the invitation, by the way. Oh, thanks oh. for coming on. Thanks for coming on. No um, problem. No problem. Now, where do you go to school now? You're saying that you're, you studied neuroscience. Um, I'm assuming you're getting your master's somewhere else, but you did undergrad at another school. So why don't you tell us a bit about that? Right. So I went to school uh, in Baltimore, Hopkins. Um, I did um, undergrad there, and now I'm doing my master's at Columbia here in New York. Okay, okay. So, okay. so you went to Johns Hopkins, um, did neuroscience there, and then now you're doing... Ep- what are you doing at... at um... Wait, so did you graduate in neuroscience, or you changed your, your major, I guess? Or... So, so that's, that's, that's funny, because I entered Hopkins as a psychology major, and I've always liked... Uh, human behavior. I've always liked uh, the way the way the brain operates, but then I realized that I wanted to do something more sciences, something more biology based, and that's why I um, also did neuroscience. So instead of changing my major, I said, "Why not add it too?" So I decided to do neuroscience and psychology at the same time, wow. and then I realized that uh, I did a couple of of, of uh, work in the field. I did uh, work at a lab. Uh, research in psychiatric illnesses at the neurological level, and I decided that I wanted to, you know, continue that path. and uh, And I was presented the opportunity to do psychiatric epidemiology here at Columbia. So I guess, kind of segueing off of the psychology thing and and, and how you know the behavioral uh, side of science kind of interests you. You know, what what is it that mental health means to you? I'm assuming that you know the definition is going to be fairly. Uh, you know, kind of coinciding with, again, why you ended up in that field? Yeah, for me, mental health means the ability or one's ability to cope with um, daily events, uh, external stimuli, and personal challenges. And this involves social, psychological, and emotional. So, you know, you were talking about, uh, you know, doing research in the field, uh, doing a little work in the field. Um did that kind of influence your definition a bit for mental health? Uh, and then did that kind of make you a bit more centered with your own self, you know, seeing other people go through that and then just becoming more aware of your own self, I guess. 
to arrive to that conclusion, to that definition, from my own experience with mental health. But I'm not going to neglect the the fact that I also studied this and that I had some knowledge, and uh, that's the reason why I concluded uh, I, I arrived to this uh, definition or what it means to me. You know, what what are some personal struggles that you kind of see, I guess, similarities with between, um, you know, what what you've seen doing your research, doing work, and then your own, you know, because I feel like it kind of has to bring awareness, right? If if you're seeing other people suffer through, you know, something like depression, and then you're like, you know, I'm I'm going through the same thing, it it, it kind of opens your eyes a bit more. So, yeah, and you yeah. kind of have that empirical side of it, you know, studying it. Yes. So. so this is the funny thing about mental health. And uh, I'm talking, of course, from my experience, I don't want to generalize it. But as Milgram once said, who was a famous psychologist that studied at Yale, um, he said that it doesn't matter how much psychology you study, you can never escape psychology. So I think it applied to me very much. You know, I was studying this, I was studying what it means. I was studying at the at the very core of the, psych, uh, the psychological, at the neural le- le- uh, uh, level. I was studying it at the uh, um, chemical level. And even though I didn't realize this, when I when I started my, my um, I will say, what I like to call my mental health journey, I j- had just started at Hopkins. And it was a combination of stress, of wanting to be better, of wanting to be to, to better myself, of wanting to be part of the competition that I uh, developed uh, depression. You know, I went into an eight-month depression that um, I didn't realize I had it. You know, I had all the symptoms. I didn't sleep or overslept. I have very strong memory problems um my mood swings were horrible one moment i would be laughing and all of a sudden i'll be crying there was a feeling of loneliness uh very strong suicidal thoughts um a loss of appetite and even though i had all of the symptoms i didn't realize i had depression the only moment i realized depression were was when my aunt uh who i went to visit in texas told me once said what happened richard you know like you're not What's wrong with you? You're not yourself. You, I don't see you uh, uh, as happy as I usually see you. you know, I, I'm considered to be a very talkative person, very happy, very amicable, very social. And all of that was gone. And it made me think a little bit. But it, it wasn't enough until one day I attempted to commit suicide. And that was like an eye-opening for me. I, you know, that, uh, that has never happened to me before. Um, of course, the suicidal ideations were there, but I never went through with them. And at that moment, I realized that there was something wrong, and that's when I started to seek help. Right. Um, you know, you were saying you had these suicidal thoughts. Is that something that you're saying that was a switch for you, where you're like, you know, what something's obviously really wrong if I'm, you know, considering taking my own life? Right. Like, um, I. I have a lot of things to be grateful for. And when you are in that depressive episode, you don't realize all of these things because you're so um, inundated with bad thoughts that you're not good enough, that uh, whatever you're doing is not good, that people don't like you, that um, that feeling of loneliness. 
Um, it's very interesting because even though you have so many people around you, so many people that care so much about you, you still feel that, that feeling of loneliness. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mind you, how I said mm-hmm. feeling, not necessarily uh, that's how it is. Now, does, does that play into um, you know, the fact that you're feeling like you're constantly competing with people at Johns Hopkins and, and you feel like you have to be you know, at the top of your game, there's so much stress around you. I'm assuming that there's expectations as well with, with your family and everybody. And, 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 you know, again, I'm assuming getting into the school itself, you have high standards for yourself. So, um, yeah. Right. That was, that was a huge aspect of it. Um, that was, I will say, the, one of the biggest things that contributed to my depression. Um, uh, the stress, the, the having so many talented people around you. It gives you that sense of imposter syndrome that you are not there because of your own merits or because of your that you're not good enough. When in reality you are, you know, you are there because you're good enough and because uh, they selected you because you are a part. You should be part of the community. But so- that feeling uh, of the imposter syndrome was extremely overwhelming, especially for me. Because I saw so many talented people doing so many amazing, amazing things. And I thought I was not doing them. Uh, or I thought I, I uh, was not doing enough. When in reality, I was. So to go a little bit more in depth with the imposter syndrome, is that really what, you know, you're basically doubting yourself? Is that essentially what it is? Or can you give me more information on what exactly that is? Imposter syndrome, um, what I was experiencing was uh, uh, believing that I was not good enough, that I was not part of the community, of the Hopkins community. You know, I had this idea of what the typical Hopkins student was. Talented, very smart, very uh, diligent, um, you know, with a very heavy interest in science. And, you know, I think it played a very important part in my depressive episode. But it's just... A piece of the puzzle. I think it was uh, uh, several elements that contributed to that. One of them, as I mentioned, was the weather. Um, you know, I grew up in the Dominican Republic, where it's sunny and hot all the time. And then South Florida, where it's also sunny, hot at the time. And then I moved to Baltimore, where in the winter is gray, is cold. And you add on top of that the imposter syndrome. You add on top of that that feeling of loneliness. You add on top of that where the trees. Uh, are gray and everything seems gray that's exactly how i perceived everything at the time everything was sad everything was gray everything was cloudy um and that takes away the pleasure pleasure of life that takes away um even your appetite and when that happened um you know that your mood changes and my energy levels were very low too now, you were saying that your aunt is the one that kind of made you realize it. What was the buffer between you starting school at a Johns Hopkins and then that conversation that you have with your aunt where you're like, yeah, you know, I am acting a little bit different? Yeah, so actually that was like towards the end. That was actually a few weeks before my suicidal attempt. Um, uh, this happened around April. And... That was, uh, at that time, I was very, very deep into my depressive episode. Um, uh, I think one of the things that she noticed is that I was not eating, or I was not eating enough. Um, I did not react in a normal way to the things that she would tell me, or the activities that we would do while I was visiting her. 
Um, I was in a very low mood, very sleepy all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, what, what, how much time was it, like, between you getting to school and then your aunt realizing that? Is it, like, a few weeks? Is it, like, a month? Is it, like, two months? Is it a semester? Well, I would say that it all started in October of 2017. And I went to visit my aunt in April of 2018. So it was a couple of months, yeah. So I mean, in hindsight, obviously you're you're able to to see, um, you know, certain things. You know, when you're at rock bottom like that, I guess you can you can notice things and be like, you know, I was doing this differently. I was acting this way. Uh, what are some of those things for you that that you can look back on now and be like, yeah, you know, I was doing that because I was depressed. Aside from the fact that you were, you know, lower energy levels. Like, what specifically was it? Um, I think one of the strongest things was uh, the suicidal ideations. Um, you know, sometimes the low moods can come with the weather. Sometimes the low moods can come with um, a bad news. But the suicidal ideations were the thing that I was like, okay, this is not normal. This is not good. Um, also, the sudden, the sudden cries. I, I will cry all of a sudden. I think that that was a, a big one, too. Did your uh you said the suicidal episode happened after you saw your aunt? Did your aunt noticing give you any type of feeling of like not being alone? Well, here's the thing about depression, and is that you don't really know you're into it. You're really into it until something happens and wakes you up, and it creeps down. It creeps into you. And it becomes your new normal. So these low energy levels, these suicidal ideations, these um, having no appetite, having no emotions, this became my new normal. So her telling me that was like, yeah, you know, that's how I am now. I guess I have changed. When in reality, this was just the, the, the depressive symptoms uh, showing. Okay, so it gave you like a realization, kind of like a confirmation bias for yourself. Right. Now, was it a confirmation bias or was it more of like a, like Brian was saying, it's, it's like a wake up call for you. And then do you start feeling like, you know, am I being a burden or, or do you just kind of fall more into a depressive state? And then that's why you end up um, trying to, you know, follow through with your suicidal thoughts. No, no, no. Actually, I didn't make anything of it uh, when she told me that. And I realized, I only realized that. Uh, what she told me was a thing after I started getting better, after I started getting treatment, after I started t- uh, taking medications. At the moment, I, I didn't think any of it, anything of it at all. So what, what's the uh, the timeline between after seeing your aunt and the suicidal attempt? Did anything like significant happen? Like, what, did anything what? did anything significant happen between your aunt? mentioning it and then you getting back to school that that kind of triggered you a little bit or or over time yeah i think you know being away from from school for that little time um definitely was refreshing and getting back into it uh the same grayness with the same cloudiness same competition the same uh toxicity of the school i think uh made the symptoms a little bit worse you know like oh my god i'm back into this environment right so so again brian i think kind of touched on a little bit asking um you know what was the time you know how much time was it like was it a week or so after you get back 
that you try to actually follow through with this or you know how, how much time is it and also to add to that was it uh, more of a premeditated process when you were going to attempt like the suicidal attempt was it premeditated what you were going to do or was it just kind of just sporadic um it was two weeks after the visit and it was premeditated you know i tried to do it with um overdosing on pills um you know when you are uh depressed you don't accomplish a lot of things so you feel like you're not accomplished accomplishing a lot of things and the fact that i finally went through with um with it or tried to go through with it uh, after so many ideations and after so many uh, uh suicidal thoughts you know instead of a thought it became an action and that scared me you know uh you know when when the thought becomes an action that that's scary now was it and that's when i noticed that i was not okay right so uh, you know you're saying you went through with it what exactly what, what happened that day if you can kind of give us the, the gist of it or, or you know if you want to go into detail of what happened then you know obviously you know thankfully you're still here with us but um yeah of course so i i was in class um did not have a, a good day or i guess i had a uh, even worse than that I've been having. And I felt really, really bad, feel really sad, very lonely. So I went into my room, grab uh, a handful of pills. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I don't like to, or at the time, I didn't like to swallow my pills. So it was a little more difficult and uh, involved a little more thought. So when I realized what I was doing, and I had my spills in my in my hand, had my my door locked in my bedroom, my apartment. I'm alone. When I realized that I was having all of this, I realized, wait, Richard, what are you doing? What is this gonna? What's gonna happen here? You know, what's gonna happen to your parents, your your siblings, your your family, your friends, your roommates? You start thinking about that and start thinking about what's gonna cost to them. And then you start thinking about, you know, all the bad things that have happened before that you are able to, you were able to overcome. And at that moment, I realized that I could overcome this too. And that that was a problem and that I was going through something. I think perhaps not everyone um, has the possibility of having that realization at that exact moment. So I'm yeah. thankful I did. I'm yeah, no. thankful I was able to seek help. And I'm thankful that I I got a lot better. Wow. I mean, were you, you said you took pills. Were you taking any medication, uh, you know, leading up to that? Uh, no, actually, no. I had never taken medications up until then, that point. So what pills were? So it's just, you know, typical, uh, uh, acetaminophen um you know advil so did you not talk to anybody you know about your depression or your emotions or your feelings like maybe some friends you had at school or you said you seeked help was Mm -hmm. that at any point did you do that during your depression or was that after you had your episode where you're like oh i can get through this and then maybe you you seek the therapist or some friends no i didn't talk anything about it before um, that realization. I think it, 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 that was also part of the imposter syndrome. You know, everything seems so happy. Everyone seems so okay. Everyone seems like they're having 
the time of their life. Everyone seemed like they are, you know, nothing is wrong. And here I am drowning in a very dark and cloudy sea. And so I didn't want to be singled out because of that. Um, I later realized that there were so many people experiencing the same thing as I was. Now, I started seeking help. I went to counseling. I uh, was prescribed medications, which I know a lot of people are against medications, but I think for me it was very necessary. It was, it was necessary to take me out of that. Right, right. I mean, I, I think that you're not alone in that sense. Like you, you're saying that, you know, you feel like everybody else is, is you know, rainbows and whatever, and, and, and they're not suffering by any means and they're fine. But in reality, it's like, we're all struggling. We're all going through our own battles. Exactly. Exactly. What you're saying. And that, you know, you shouldn't be ashamed of, of medication, either taking medication uh, at all. Exactly. Which is precisely the, the reason why it's so important to talk about it. Because at the moment, I, you know, I grew up in the Dominican Republic, which is a very conservative, conservative country, which doesn't believe in mental health. And that, uh, you started to apply that to yourself too. I didn't believe in it too, either, but it happened to me and it can happen to anyone. So talking about it, uh, people can learn about it and know how to deal with it and how to cope with, with uh, mental health problems. Right. So how did you start coping with it after the fact? How did you start, um, you know, dealing with it? Were you talking to your friends? Uh, you're, you're saying you started bringing it up more because obviously you're aware of it. Um, so yeah. How, how did you kind of start handling it from then on? Right. So I went to the school's counseling center. I started seeing a therapist, I started seeing a psychiatrist. And uh, funny enough, I saw in the waiting room, some of my peers, and I mean, usually don't ask what you're here for, but you kind of know. And I got involved more with the community. Now that when I started to feel better, I stopped ostracizing myself from the community and started talking to more people and uh, learning more, to, more about my friends. And the conversation, the topic came up in conversation. And, you know, we started talking more and more about it. I started learning more about myself, about my experience with my depression. And I learned too um, that I was also experiencing anxiety, and that indeed was actually the root of all my problems, of all the depressive symptoms and all the depression. So you're realizing when you go to this, uh, you know, health center at your school that it's not just you, and that everybody around you at the same school as you is is feeling the same way. So it yeah. it kind of you know and, puts things in perspective for you, right? And these are like your your peers, you said, right? Like these are people you probably met and known. So you kind of, I guess, feel less alone in a way because they never really talked to you about it and you didn't know they were experiencing that. Exactly. So that silence was, um, was, was bad. Like it, the, the yeah. silence made me feel like I was alone in that moment. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like a lot of it from what you're saying is that, you know, you feel like you can't really talk about it to people. You feel like, you know, again, people aren't struggling like the same way you are, and they might judge you in a way. Yeah, because again, there's the point of this is there's a stigma behind having that conversation, and then you once you actually put yourself out there and, and then you do something about it, more often than not, you're gonna realize that the people around you are, are you know going through just as much, if not worse, or in, to their own you know perspective, I guess. So exactly, 
Yeah. So uh, again, with coping, was it just something that you kept to yourself a little bit for a while? Um. So I started therapy right before the semester ended. So I didn't really have um, a lot of time to talk to, you know, like announce it or 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 be more vocal about it with everyone. But yeah, it it. Uh, it was brought up into conversation more often and often, and uh, my friends knew about it, and my friends were aware of what I was going through, and they were able to help, you know, make me uh, not feel as lonely. What would you say is most most impactful for you as far as coping with, uh, you know, your mental health struggles? Uh, just you know, since you realized it, and aside from the, uh, you know, mental health center that you have at your school. I think the learning about myself, you know, learning what the triggers are, learning what uh, can cause me um, uh, an anxiety attack or a depressive episode. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, learning how to have a, a, a healthy lifestyle, going to the gym, eating healthy, avoid too, too many stimulants. Were you journaling? Were you, uh, you know, writing things down? I know for me personally, and I, and I know Brian does as well, um, you know, journaling, writing things down when you're feeling a certain way helps a lot just in the sense that you become more self-aware. And you're saying that self-awareness and, you know, realizing things a bit more about yourself help, goes a long way, obviously, as far as, um, again, coping with those struggles goes. I think um, I did journal for a little bit, but it was more helpful to talk about it, whether it was with a therapist, with a friend, or uh, you know, trying to define the root of things or why I was feeling this, the, the way I was feeling at the moment. So are you also saying that your that main experience kind of also allowed you to become aware and more introspective so that's what you're saying you know you're aware of your triggers you're aware of your um your your lifestyle and everything that specific moment in your life was like where you realized that yeah of course you know um as you mentioned being aware of your lifestyle at the moment i wasn't sleeping um i wasn't eating i was not socializing and those are very key characteristics of having a healthy mental health lifestyle and I was not doing any of them. So just to kind of wrap it up a bit, what would you say is, is a good tip or, you know, any piece of advice you could give to people that maybe go into the same thing? You know, if you can put yourself back or talk back to the person that you were. That first of all, that everything's going to be okay. Give yourself time. I think it's important to give yourself time um it's a it's a process it's a healing process it's not something that will get better tomorrow or the the week after you have to give yourself time trust the process trust the healing process and always seek help um something for most people that they cannot do by themselves if you can that would be that's that's great but um, most people need some external help and so don't be afraid to ask for help now that mental health journey that you had that was you know debatably most impactful uh, you know with the whole depression and the suicidal attempt how has that affected your perspective now living in new york going to a new school i mean i'm assuming it gives you a you know a new realm of thought 
and just in life in general as well and maybe how you approach you know your relationships like with your friends and everything so as i mentioned it's it's a journey and it's still a journey for me i'm still discovering things that i didn't know before now before i thought that my biggest problem was uh, depression and then i realized that it's um i I struggle more with anxiety and when I go into constant anxiety attacks that can lead me into a depressive episode. So it's still a journey for me. I'm still discovering things. Now I realize that whenever I'm feeling down, whenever I'm feeling a certain way, um, interacting with other people, being more social really helps me, which is the reason why I think New York is uh, one of the best places for my mental health. It, it, does, it can be a little bit overwhelming because there's a lot of people, but you learn how to manage it. Um, and yeah, and that's, that's you, know, you learn new coping mechanisms every time, every step of your life. As far as the medication goes, I know that a lot of people, first of all, are, are against it. Um, they, they think that they shouldn't take it or that they don't need to take it. Um, now, I want to stress the fact that the medication isn't going to be, you know, it's not one size fits all and it's not going to be the only thing that typically gets the job done as far as coping with it goes. Um, did you realize that as well? Have you found that um, it's not just going to, it's not ever just going to be the medication that resolves the issue for you, but it's, it's kind of a mix of things. You know, you kind of have to have like a, a, a good toolbox as far as coping mechanisms goes to really get through it, right? Yeah, definitely. I, um, you know, the medication is a booster, a little help, but you still need to go to therapy, uh, try to do healthy things, um, trying to discover yourself and learn um, how mental health manifests in you. Yeah. So you're essentially encouraging just the mental health grow in all forms, just continue working and building a healthy lifestyle and just becoming stronger mentally with your toolbox yes absolutely so with that being said i think that brian i really want to stress the fact that you know you should never feel alone and let it get to the point where you're you know actually trying to commit to those suicidal thoughts and that more often than not i think kamari said the same thing in the previous episode that you know once he finally started to talk to people about it and his friends and the people around him you know, it's it's a common theme, right? Yeah, you kind of realize that you're not alone and that people, all of them have their mental struggles. And once you get comfortable talking about yours, they get comfortable talking about theirs and you realize that you're, you really aren't alone. You you can relate to each other yeah. in so many ways. I mean, it, it's, it's a community, right? Um, what we're trying to promote here is a community of people that understand that. Um, bringing that self-awareness, like you were saying, Richard, uh, that that self-awareness is has brought peace to you to some extent, correct? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think you need to know what your triggers are, what you go through, and um, learn what's most important to you. Yeah, for sure. Becoming really introspective and becoming aware, like Ian's stressing and Richard, you said, 100%, we want to stress that. Yeah, Um you know, we want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Uh, it takes a lot, like I told Kamari, to, you know, come out here and say your story and, and let people know what you've gone through. Not a lot of people would do it, so. Yeah, thanks, Richard. That's, you know, really courageous of you. We really appreciate it coming on and talking about it. 
Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for providing a, an environment where I feel comfortable talking about this journey of mine. We appreciate that. Yeah. So thanks again, Richard. So if you want anybody to reach out to you or maybe seek some advice from you, where can they reach you at? Yeah, of course. If you have any questions about life, about what I do, about my research, about my journey, um, about my school, let me know. You can follow me on Instagram at Richard underscore DLSA. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, for the people listening at home, if you want to stay up to date on our posts on future releases, check us out on Instagram at Disorderly Perspectives. And finally, I'm Ian. I'm Brian. And thanks for taking on our Disorderly Perspectives.